you have a Bible near you, open it up to Judges chapter 1, and you can also get the message notes if you go to eaglechurch.com slash Sunday. So if you do that, eaglechurch.com slash Sunday, that's where you can find the message notes, and you can follow along electronically there as well. There's a, a, an opening quote kind of at the top of the notes that kind of frames where we're headed with the message this morning. So I'm going to test you early. I'm confident you can stay with me. All right, this is from C.S. Lewis. And just follow his train of thought because I think it gives us good context for the book of Judges. Lewis says this, We may indeed be sure that perfect chastity, like perfect charity, will not be attained by any merely human efforts. He says, no, you must ask for God's help. Even when you've done so, it may seem to you for a long time that no help or less help than you need is being given. Anybody there? (laughs) Never mind, Lewis says. After each failure, ask forgiveness, pick yourself up, and try again. Hear this now. Very often, what God first helps us toward is not the virtue itself, but just this power of always trying again. For however important chastity or courage or truthfulness or any other virtue may be, this process trains us in habits of the soul which are more important still. It cures our illusions about ourselves and teaches us to depend on God. We learn on the one hand that we cannot trust ourselves even in our best moments and on the other that we need not despair even in our worst for our failures are forgiven. The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. So, we're at this place in the storyline through the Bible. We're taking the year, and a couple hundred folks or so are kind of immersing and reading through the Bible all year long. And then on Sundays, we're just trying to take the bigger storyline and try to keep pace with from Genesis to Revelation. And we've come now to this place in the story called the book of Judges. And I think Lewis's line in there where it talks about God kind of weaning his people from illusions about themselves Like, I think this is the work God's doing, training up a people, creating a nation called Israel. He's got to get them to think a little bit about themselves and what they bring to the table and depend a little more on God. Well, I know I need a good healthy dose of that. So, this is the book of Judges, and I'm going to, I've entitled today Spiritual Groundhog Day. And here's how it's framed in Judges chapter 1. So the backdrop to Judges is Moses has passed away. Remember the well-loved, well-worn leader Moses? We've been tracking with him for a long time. He's passed away, handed the baton to Joshua. Joshua just passed away. Remember, Joshua was the one who led him from where they'd been wandering in the desert, got up to the edge of the promised land through Moses. Moses hands it to Joshua from the promised land across the Jordan in. So from the desert wandering into the promised land is where Joshua has spent the last 25 years helping them take possession of a territory that they've been long awaiting to take. And now the book of Judges picks up the story after, notice verse 1, chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Remember, the The promised land is filled with Canaanites and Hittites and Jebusites and Perizzites and all these ites that don't have a warm and welcoming presence towards the Israelites. 
Remember all the way back when Moses was trying to say, hey, you know what? We're just going to be one more ite in the land unless the Lord Yahweh goes with us. What distinguishes the Israelites from all those other ites is I will be with you. Yahweh's presence with his people. Now they're going to go and they have to displace some peoples to create room for God's presence to dwell in the land. Now, little parentheses here. We're going to have some conversation in two weeks about what do we do with this whole section of the Old Testament where it seems as if God's giving like blessing and direction to wipe out groups of people, women and children included. It's a very difficult part of the storyline. I don't want to dismiss it. We're going to enter in a little bit deeper dive in two weeks. So I invite you to come back. We'll kind of step back. We'll put our thinking caps on and we'll try to step and say, Lord, what are you doing from Joshua through Judges here, stepping in and wiping out I mean, is it like God, like commissioning genocide, these kind of questions, like pro-violence and all this? So we'll come back to it. What I want you to see in the storyline today is judges, the cycle that's being introduced starts with a directive from God that they got to go take possession of the land. But the land is inhabited by people who don't want them there. And so it's important, God gives them the directive, to push out all of the people. You can't leave a small remnant of the Canaanites behind. You can't just like keep the favored ones behind and even intermarry and whatever else they're going to, like you got to get rid of all of them. That's the directive on the front end. Now let's see what happens. Verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, then the men of Judah went with the Simeonites, the, um, the, the Israelite kind of drafted in, the Judites drafted in the Simeonites, their brothers, and attacked the Canaanites living in Zephah. And they totally destroyed the city. Jump down to verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. That was the key point. The Lord is with them. His presence is carrying them. They took possession of the hill country. Oh, here's a key line. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. If you go all the way through chapter 1, you're going to see a repeated refrain. Like in verse 20, it says, failed to dislodge the Jebusites. In verse 27, did not drive out. Verse 29, did not drive out. Verse 30, did not drive out. There's a theme all the way through chapter 1 that they were given an instruction to make way for the presence of God to dwell, and they kind of partially obeyed. And God wants to Mature them from partial obedience, which we know in God's eyes isn't obedience at all. Halfway, half-heartedness. So he's looking for a wholeheartedness. He's looking for all in. And so chapter 2 now, verse 10, let's pick up the story. After a whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. Now, how ironic is that in light of what we've been talking about for this first four months of the year? A whole generation grows up. I mean, you missed, did you forget like the Red Sea? How can you not know about the Red Sea? How about that? Or how about Passover and Pharaoh and the iron grip and being freed from Egypt? How about pillar of fire, pillar of cloud? How about the water from the rock? How about God preserving all the desert wandering? How can you not know? Well, clearly one generation struggled like Moses gave him the command. Make sure you're, remember that from a few weeks ago, Deuteronomy 6, what's so important as parents, what's so important for the current generation to help the generation that's growing up, right? Know the ways of God. Keep the commands of God before them. Tell the stories of God. There must have been a pretty significant breakdown because it's saying basically a whole generation grows up and says they don't have any idea what God's done for Israel. It's like the fact you're breathing is Yahweh. 
Verse 11, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, which, right, when you lose sight of who God is, that you're created in His image, He's not created in yours, do you see how you're just prone to, like G.K. Chesterton said, the issue with the human condition is that, isn't that you don't worship anything, it's that you worship everything. So if you lose sight of Yahweh being your one true God, you're going to turn and give your hearts to all kinds of other things. And here they just go and prostrate themselves before Baals and all these gods and goddesses of the Canaanites who had hundreds and hundreds of gods. They forsook the Lord, verse 12, the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods, notice little g, of the peoples around them. So big picture here, God's trying to train and raise up a people to live life with God, capital G. But they're prone to go live life with God's little g. That's like the big picture of what's going on. Unless we think we've graduated from that, I would, I would argue that we're still prone to this wandering. That we'll prop up all kinds of other things and seek life. We lift them up, we bow down and worship them, all kinds of these little g gods. And God's trying to create a people who live life with God, capital G. And that's what He's doing with them here. Now jump down, verse 14, so they don't obey, they don't drive out the peoples, they prone, they fall on their face before these other gods. And then verse 14, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around them. They were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as He had sworn to them. They were in great distress. That's an understatement. That's one of those sentences in the Bible you go, yeah, clearly, right? The only way they had victory was the Lord was with them. We're well, not going to have a lot of chance if the Lord's fighting against you in this. And God's trying to get their attention. So verse 16, here's where the cycle rolls. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. So this is, I put a little diagram here in your notes, and here's on the screen. Here's how you understand the book of Judges. Here's spiritual Groundhog Day. All right? Here's how it goes in the book of Judges. Here's how Judges says you repeat the messes of yesterday today. Anybody living in that space? Where you declare it's going to be a new day and we're going a new way only to wake up and see the old day old ways. That's book of Judges. So the cycle goes like this as the diagram shows there. And this is in your notes so if you want to look at it later. So at the top, it's Israel doesn't do what God wants them to do. And then next part, God gives them in the hands of the oppressors. And then Israel cries out to God. Lord, we're in distress. Please help. God raises up a judge and a deliverer. And then the oppressor is subdued, and then the land and people have rest for X number of years. This is the book of Judges over and over. So those of you who just read through this, you're like, like, well, this would have been a super helpful diagram to have maybe as you started reading through Judges. Pull this out. Keep it in your pocket this way. But So this is how it goes through the Judges, right? Othniel and Ehud and Deborah and Gideon. This is how it goes. The judge steps forward and he brings them out and they, they, they repent. They go, no more little gods, little G gods. We're going all in, capital G God. Yahweh, you're it. And then that judge dies. And then they lose sight of capital G God, Yahweh. And then they fall on their face and start prostrating through these other gods and goddesses. And then more oppressors come in. And then they... Back through the cycle, then God raises up another judge, and then the oppressors are booted out, and then the people turn and go, yes, Lord, you're it, and boom, 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 spiritual Groundhog Day. Now, lest we think this is just a book of Judges phenomena, I would argue it's a human phenomena. I would argue we're pretty prone to repeat the messes of yesterday today, and we really need God's help and intervention. It reminded me several years ago of a phone call I received. 
uh, from a wedding coordinator. It was a, I think it was a Friday. The wedding was Saturday. It was a panicked call from a coordinator who whatever previous officiant had bailed on the ceremony for Saturday afternoon. And, and this, I, had, I had worked with this wedding coordinator before, so she had my number. And she's like, can you please, 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 you know, come to this country club this time and, and do the ceremony. I, I thought, you know, I want to help. I'll, I'll be, I, I can do it. Schedule's free. I'll do it. So I drove to this country club, met the bride and the groom like 15 minutes before the ceremony, beautiful setting, couple hundred people, and I, he's probably in his mid-50s or so, and she was probably in her, I would guess, mid-30s or so. That's my best guess. And so I was like, okay, guessing there's quite a bit behind the scenes here going on, but I got like 15 minutes to try to figure out what to do here, and so we're, we get everybody in place, and we get the ceremony going, and we're out this golf course, and this beautiful setting, and there's these beautiful vases of flowers filled with, whoa, I mean, just beautiful on these pedestals, and a gust of wind comes across a golf course, and I kind of glance to my right, and I notice one of the vases like this. Well, Grandma is sitting like two feet in front of this vase, and she's completely oblivious that she's about to get a complete flower wash on her. <laughs> so, the w- gust of wind comes, I glance this way, and I see the vase going over. Grandma, she has no idea. It's going over like this. I just stick my hand out like this, and the vase falls right into my hand. I just tilt it back up like that. Grandma's just... All right, we're rolling. <laughs> so, all the bridal parties walking in, and again, I only have known the groom for 15 minutes. Is, let's call him Ben. So, Ben says to me, the bridal party's all walking in like this. He says to me, taps me like this, hey, pastor. Yeah, yeah. He goes, you see that guy on the aisle with the big shoe I have this perplexed look. I'm like, what? I kind of lean out like this, and I go, yeah. He goes, biggest bookie in the state of Indiana. He'll hook you up later if you need hooked up. I'm like, I go, Ben, here comes the bride, here comes the bride. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Should have known right there where this whole thing was going, right? His bride is walking down the aisle. He's thinking about the guy with the big shoe who's the biggest bookie in the state. We get through the ceremony, pronounce some husband and wife, sign the license, shake the hands, take a few pictures, head back home. 48 hours later, my phone rings. It's the bride. Let's call her Paula. Paula calls. She's crying. She says, Pastor, you're not going to believe this, but Ben left me. I said, Paula, it's not even 48 hours removed. She said, we had a big party at the country club. We load up our stuff. He had booked a nice honeymoon suite downtown hotel. We went downtown. We unloaded our stuff into the room, and he said he forgot some things in the car, so he went back down to the car, and he never came back. He said, you, she said, you pronounced us husband and wife at 6.30. He left at 10.30. And she's obviously crying, and I ask a few more questions, and I said, I said, Paula, uh, I want to call Ben. Do you have his number? Yep, she gave me his number. Prayed with Paula, hung up with her, said, we'll schedule another time to talk some more. I said, I want to talk to Ben next. So I dialed Ben's number. To, his, to my surprise, he answered. I don't think he had my number in his phone. 
He answered. I introduced myself, and the first thing Ben says to me, he says, oh, Pastor Eric, thanks so much for the wonderful ceremony you performed on Saturday. Wasn't that just a beautiful evening? Thanks for making it such a special event. He went on and on about it. I, I interrupted, and I said, Ben, I understand there's been a lot that's transpired since Saturday night. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. I said, Ben, uh, Paul is the one who called me. She's pretty broken up. I said, don't worry about it, Pastor I had already decided before I married her, I was going to divorce her. I said, what? He said, well, a couple weeks before, it just kind of dawned on me, I really don't want to be married to her. But I'd already paid a bunch of money to have this big party at this country club. We all had friends and family come, and I was too embarrassed to tell everybody that I'm going to pull the plug on this thing. So I just decided we'd all go through with it. We'd have a big old party. We'd have a great memory. And I just bailed. I just don't worry, Eric. I've got the attorneys on it. They've already got the paperwork in motion for the divorce. I said, Ben, let's take a breath here. I said, hey, it's not even 48 hours from this. Can we just like sit down and talk about it? Like, let's get together. And he kept, no, no point. No point. I'd already decided a couple weeks ago, there's no way this is going to work. Don't worry about it. I said, what about the other young lady on the other? How, ben, how about Paula? I'll take care of her, Pat. Don't worry. That's a, it'll be fine. That was his favorite line. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Now, here's what I want you to picture, church. Picture my phone call to the clerk's office. The clerk's office is where you file the marriage license. So I called the local clerk of court because I mailed their wedding license that they signed on Saturday. I dropped in the mail on Sunday. I got the phone call on Monday. So I had to tell the clerk. I said, hey, by the way, um, this license, this marriage certificate license that's about to arrive at your desk, I understand that the groom has already started divorce proceedings for that license. And she said, huh? <laughs> she said, here's what she said. She says, can you say that again? So I went through the scenario again. She says, I've been doing this for 33 years, and I've never had someone tell me that before the marriage license arrived at my desk, the divorce proceedings are already in motion. It was a four-hour marriage. Four hours. The book of Judges has a line that's used repeatedly through it. The human condition has a propensity to drift to this state, where everyone does what is right, in their own, finish it, eyes. How do you get to four-hour marriages to throw in a party, deciding you're going to divorce before you even marry? How do you get there? You just decide you're going to do what's right in your own eyes. How many times through the week do we pick up our phones and we scroll through news feeds? And how many times do you take a deep breath and you sigh and you shake your head and you go, how did we get to where we are? I think when you decide you're going to do what's right in your own eyes, I think you're left with some pretty difficult circumstances, which is where the book of Judges outlines it. So let's not relegate this to a, a thing with people 3,000 years ago. I actually think in 2021, spiritual Groundhog Day is still a pretty big issue. I still think we've all got patterns, we've all got things in our past, we've all got stuff we're trying to break out of, and we all find ourselves maybe saying, it's a new day, I'm going a new way, and you wake up and you old ways and old days, over and over and over, and you just keep cycling, and God keeps trying to break in and just keep cycling. What do we do? 
With the remainder of our time, I want to offer you kind of three, from the book of Judges, kind of three statements about how do you break out of spiritual Groundhog Day? Now, how does it happen? The first one is this. There's, a, there's this movement of awareness that first has to happen for there to be a breaking of the cycle. Awareness. I mean, you can't change something you're not aware of. You know that, right? You can't change something you're not aware of. I don't know about you, but I find the human condition, my own personal experience and trying to help a lot of others, we are breathtakingly good at self-deception. Like, we're, we can convince ourselves of nearly anything, even four-hour marriages. We're just, we're so good at just kind of rationalizing behavior and, and having an excuse for all kinds of patterns. It's, it's very easy to do. So, one of the ways I've seen God use the gift, give us the gift of awareness, is through the gift of spiritual friendships, spiritual community, sacred companions. Do you have people in your life like that? Do you have people who know you well and who know God well who, and who love you enough to have the kinds of conversations that, candidly, it'd be easier not to have, but because they love you enough, they have them, maybe in the category of some blind spots. Maybe they want to talk about some character. Maybe they want to talk about how the way you're relating with others is affecting others and you're not seeing it as clearly, but they are. Do you have people in your life? Like, that's a real gift of awareness. Now, here's the catch. I think there, if I was to graph this, I think there's a direct correlation between the number of years of a relationship and the ability to bring awareness. The longer the relationship, the more you've invested in the relationship, the longer tenured the friendship, the greater the capacity for awareness. Are you tracking with me? In other words, you can't just have, had, you can't just have met someone a week or two later and expect them to have the gift of awareness on your character issues, blind spots, spiritual Groundhog Day stuff. They're just getting to know you. But someone who's got years or perhaps decades, hmm, I think they've got a lot to offer in this space, which those of you who've been married for any length of time, you know, right? Marriage can be an unbelievable mirror back to your own soul. And I have a little working theory going on with all this. My working theory is this, that there's something inside of us that resists the exposure that comes from long-tenured relationships because it requires a level of investment to stay planted in a set of relationships for years and years and years. Do you know what happens over that? You kind of, you're found out. You, can, you might be able to fake it for a year or two with some coworkers and some friends or classmates you go golfing with once or twice a year. You can put on all kinds of fronts and faces with that group. They can think you're the best thing ever. But how about the people who are with you in the deepest valleys and the darkest days? How about when they see you at your worst? That group of people over years and decades, those are the ones. Are you tracking with me? Those are the ones you can't hide. It's just kind of, you're, you're bare-souled before those who you're in the trenches the longest with. So here's my working theory. I think this explains why we in North American suburban life, we struggle with the vow of stability in relationships because it's more comfortable to choose isolation and anonymity. I didn't say healthier. I just said more comfortable. It's easier. It's easier just to kind of 
come and go out of relationships. You, don't, you just kind of stay, keep everyone at a fairly arm's length because maybe there's some kind of stuff in here that's pretty, there's a lot of spiritual Groundhog Day stuff in here that needs to get sorted out. So uh, let's just, you know, change cities, change churches, change jobs. Just change, change, change. You uproot and you move. You keep everything at. You can even be married and keep your spouse. Can you believe that? You can do it at an arm's length. And you can get to the place where you're not truly known by anyone. That's dangerous ground. Recently, I picked up the phone, sent a text message to a friendship I've had for 21, 22 years. I said, hey, can we have breakfast? I just need to process some things. I I just really value your input, perspective. What a gift to sit for an hour and a half and for him to ask questions, and he's known me for 20 plus years, for him to see through things, for him to kind of get to the core. It was, what a beautiful gift. And then that same week, a few days later, I had another friend, 25 plus years we've been in this local church together, and I drove to his house. We stood out in his garage for about an hour, and just I just want to talk about some things. I want to say, hey, could you help me just think through some things? Help me process some stuff. You know, those kinds of dialogues can only happen if you just decide you're going to kind of plant yourself in a relationships for sometimes decades. I'm not saying change isn't ever warranted. I'm just saying it seems as if we're skewed heavily on the just uproot, move, move along, and just bounce, bounce, bounce. And there's no spiritual community. So by the time they land in the pastor's office and I ask them, who do you talk to about these things? What's the number one response I hear? Nobody. You, they say to me. I'm like, well, that's clear. This is the first time I'm hearing it. So it clearly isn't me. Does anybody see the epidemic issue here going on? This contributes to spiritual Groundhog Day because if you get yourself in a place of relational isolation where really no one truly knows the true you, that you can't really pinpoint spiritual community and sacred friendships. Sacred friendships are those who know you well and know God well. Those people, if you just stay... You just keep bouncing. And the moment someone steps in and gets a little bit too close, you're out. That right there, that's the first little window into why you keep this. The gift of God trying to break in is when you're able to sit down and have the conversation and listen and hear perspective and have your eyes. Maybe see something a little more clearly that you aren't able to see because self-deception is so hard to work through. The gift of self-awareness comes from an others-oriented posture in your relationships, in your world. You have to invest in others, and it takes, it's just more, it just takes more out of you, which is why it's easier. Not healthier, but easier, just to kind of bounce and stay isolated and disconnected, not really live relationally integrated at all. And one of the things that Hunter and I have been so encouraged with the men's thing happening on Wednesdays, one of the greatest outflows of that has been 50 to 60 guys coming together and say, you know what? We want to keep pressing into this space, I would put this label on, of awareness of being known man to man. Too much isolation, too much on my own. And so the guys, several of the groups, several guys are just going to start keep getting together. 
We're going to keep pressing in. We're going to plan some things to do this summer. We're looking ahead to what are we going to do in the fall? How do we keep building on the momentum of pressing into this space of saying, declare war on isolation and as a man, choose this place of vulnerability of becoming known. And I think, I think God would say, there's a shot of breaking spiritual groundhog day right there. Awareness, the first movement. To begin to see something that you haven't been able to see as clearly as you need to, which moves into the second way that God moves out. Now, where's awareness come up in the book of Judges? It comes up through the ice that they don't drive out in the land. So the Israelites thought it was a fairly minor issue that a few Canaanites were left behind. The text ends up saying those few Canaanites left behind end up creating a disaster for you and you didn't even see it. God runs the tape out and says, hey, you just think a few of these, probably the best looking ones, probably the most talented ones, leave them behind. And then God runs the tape out and says, you're going to be prostrate before their gods and goddesses in a couple decades. You have no idea. So God's trying to insert awareness through this, hey, you need to have not partial obedience isn't obedience. You need to fully remove them, and they wouldn't do it. So God, second movement and how he breaks in. When awareness doesn't accomplish it, he moves to this pain. The second area is pain. Pain. Look up here for a moment. When the pain of your current circumstances, think of it like the old seventh grade chemistry scales. When the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, things start changing. So when the Amalekites come in, when the Midianites come in, when the Perizzites and Jebusites and Canaanites start ransacking the land, the pain for the Israelites. Listen, if you're the Israelites and you're moving into the new territory, you've kept a few Canaanites around, you might even started hanging out with them, maybe even started some relationships going with them. They might even started hanging out at their temples a little bit. You know, you're kind of dabbling in it a little bit, and it's kind of comfortable. For the most part, the land is safe. It's comfortable. It's convenient. That's not a great environment for breaking out a spiritual Groundhog Day. Have you noticed that in your own life? Like, safety, comfort, and convenience tend not to be breakthroughs. That tends to breed just kind of go with the flow. Keep things as they are. Steady as she goes. But when the Amalekites and the Midianites and all these otherites come in and they start oppressing and they start, and then all of a sudden you're like, the pain, when the pain scale tips far enough, then the pain of your current circumstances exceeds the pain of change, things start changing. That's for the Israelites. So when I phoned Paula a few days after the original phone call, the four-hour bride was quite receptive to rethinking how she's approaching her relationships. Certainly devastated, heartbroken for sure, but in those following phone calls with her, I learned it was, she had two previous marriages. This was her third. And I said, Paula, what do you, let's step back. What do you, let's talk about, what are you really looking for here? Is your filter maybe a, a, a little off and all? Like, what, what is it? What do you feel like God's, how is God coming to you in this space? There's a receptivity when you're in that place of brokenness that there wouldn't have been perhaps if we just had a random phone call two weeks before. 
That's the pain factor. That awareness gets linked with pain to help bring like, how is God coming in? That's why all through the book of Judges, you go, why is God allowing all this mess and destruction to come on his people? I think it's rooted in this. It's try, God's trying to turn their hearts. And he knows if he can awaken their eyes and if he can tilt the pain factor high enough, there's going to be a chance for some change, which moves into the third area. So you put awareness with pain with routines. So this is, I think of it as the APR. So how does God break us out of patterns that need to be broken out of? Think APR, awareness, pain, and routines. New habits that are in line with a new direction God wants you to go. A Duke University study said 40% of our daily behaviors aren't really like actual decisions. They're just habits, like 40% of what you do each day. 40%, basically the study says, you, you basically have outsourced, for, you've repeated it so much, you've outsourced it from your will to your body. You just do it, 40%. This is what like tying your shoes, brushing your teeth, all those kinds of things. Like they're just fairly minor routine, you don't even have to think about it, you just do it. Now back when you were learning it, you had to really think through it, not now, 40%. And judges, it's not just those smaller routine things. God's trying to actually cultivate a people who depend on Him, surrender their wills to Him. Wow, that's a, that takes some journey, right? To say, God, I trust you even when I can't see what you're doing. I believe you have my best in mind even when the circumstances look like a mess. How do you train up? How do you develop the habit to trust God no matter what? That's the people He's trying to create. The routines that He inserts so think about when God's trying to break in. Maybe there's a pattern. So God's trying to break in. He, awareness, gift of a friendship or two. Maybe the pain scales have started to tip. And then he starts giving you some insight on, you know, if you just keep doing what you've been doing, there's a good chance you're going to keep reaping what you've been reaping. But if you can change and, and break through and say, I'm going to have some new routines that kind of line up with a new direction, then I think you see spiritual Groundhog Day start to turn. And so for this morning, maybe that's where somebody here in the room or joining us online this morning, maybe, maybe you're here in your own personal loop. You just, you looked at that diagram and you go, that, that's my life. And you say, well, what is God doing in that space? Maybe this morning is a movement of awareness. Maybe today God's saying through His Word, hey, He's just trying to open your eyes a little bit and see, see that this is the cycle, see what's contributed to it, and see the gift of His grace to come and to speak and say, I've got a better way, I've got a new way. You've got to relinquish doing what's right in your own eyes, though. You can't keep just doing it the way you want to do it and expecting different results. You've got to be willing to surrender your ways to His, and this is, you can see why this is a big deal with God. And his people inhabiting the promised land, being the nation that represents him to the other nations. Right now, he's a little concerned with what they're going to represent. So he's got to keep working in this space. Awareness. Or maybe this morning finds you in a place of pain. Maybe circumstantially some stuff going on, your relational world, your physical health world, your mental health world, your job security, financial, whatever it is. Has God tilted like pain scales to the point where you're just, you're just, Ears are dug out and you're more eager, open, and receptive than you've ever been. Or maybe it's routines. Maybe God's been making it clear. He's been tapping on your heart and say, hey, it's time to change 
practically some habits. The old habits are going to lead you to old ways. We've got to get some new habits to get to new ways. So I called Ben back a few times. He took my call each time to his credit, answered the call. I said, Ben, how about you come by the office? Let's talk. Let's talk. Usually a deep breath on the other side and Pastor, not interested in talking, okay? I'm just here to help. I don't need help. I'm fine, okay? Just here to help. And then he said this to me, our last phone call. He said, hey, just so you know, if I ever get to a place where I need another officiant, you're the first call I'm making. I hung up the phone and thought, spiritual groundhog day. There is another way. You don't have to keep looping, but it's going to involve surrender. You're going to have to decide, maybe what's right in my own eyes isn't the best. Let's pray. Father, I pray for anyone here who is listening to this cycle in the book of Judges and thinking it's reading their mail and it's maybe a, an eye-opening moment where they're just seeing maybe in a picture, maybe just that picture of the cycle itself is the awareness and the pain and the routines. Would you just break through and break in today? Lord, forgive us for all the times we go our own way and we're convinced we've got it all figured out. We're convinced we know best and the data shows maybe not. And so thank you for your grace. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that even with these Israelites, as we'll see in the weeks ahead, you just keep working with us in our broken spiritual Groundhog Day states. You don't give up on us. And we pray for the Bens and the Paulas in our own lives. We pray you would Melt their hearts and draw them to yourself and help them to see that your face is turned towards them in love. They would turn to you and trust in you. I pray that you would write a story through our own local body here, through the spiritual community we're building here. It could be a light into our world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.